0: Romans chapter 7, we'll be in the first six verses this morning. I titled the message uh, Law School. Mostly it's because I'm going to talk quite a bit about the law and our understanding of the law and our use of the law. Um, so Romans chapter 7, we have spent several weeks in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 introduces this, uh, this concept of we're going to struggle with sin, And the apostle has used different illustrations to talk about the human beings, uh, the Christians' response to the law of God. He's talked about uh, the union with Christ, uh, his death and his resurrection. That's kind of how he started this. You know, you, have, you died with Christ and now you're resurrected. You're united with him. And so he's using all these different ways to communicate to a people that when you are justified, you're not done. Uh, it, it's not, hey, I'm the parent and I have forced my kid to come to Sunday school when they didn't want to. And finally, through a, a, a really amazing, funny youth pastor, they have decided to walk the aisle and say the prayer and we're done. You're never done. Just so you know, you're never, ever done with Christ. He is never, ever done with you. And and so Uh, This idea that he starts this first part of Romans really if you want to break it down in broad strokes It's justification from verse 18 in chapter 1 to the end of chapter 5. It's justification What do we do to be right? And so in those first sections he talked about all the different ways that human beings long to be right And we're not going to go through all of that, but there but human beings want to be right In the the depth of their soul, whether they're a Christian or not, they want to be right. They don't necessarily even feel at times they need to be forgiven. But they want to be right. They want to feel right. They want to know that that I'm okay. I'm all right. And so the first five chapters are just, here is how you are made right. Here's how you're declared right. And now in in, uh, uh, chapter 7 through 8, part of 8, He's talking about sanctification. How will what we are declared to be become a reality? Um, and, 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 he, and Paul has done this through chapter 6 by a kind of a question and answer. Remember in, question, in, in chapter 6, he, it's as if he's having an argument. People are saying, uh, this gospel that you presented, Paul, the fact that we could be declared righteous, not just forgiven, but we could be declared righteous before God, if you preach that, Saul, it's dangerous. People are going to want to keep sinning. People are not going to treat their sins seriously because they're going to say, hey, I've been justified, I've been forgiven. And, and you know that's where we are. Right? You know that's, that's where we are in modern American evangelicalism that, that we have kind of gotten to a point like, the gospel's so great, just keep doing what you're doing. And we're going to gather together and we're going to sing great songs about Jesus and his love for all of us. And really don't worry about this or that. He's going to work it all out and it's all Done, and that—that that was the accusation. The gospel's so good, it's so wonderful that I'm kind of freed. And the reason that happens is because beforehand, the law was the thing that was kind of used. And I want you to think in your own mind: the law of God, isn't that how you kind of think when you ask God for something? Like I've been a preacher forever. I don't even remember life before being a preacher. Well, okay, I do. But I've been a Christian forever. And I still do that. Like, God, will you do this? And immediately I go to, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and I haven't been as bad as I was last week. I—it's it, programmed into us. We feel that we—we we have this law relationship with God, and so when the apostle takes that away, and says that was your slave master, in our text he's going to say that was your old spouse. Now, I've got to be careful with this allegory here. It's an illustration, but, but he, is, he has talked about it in Life and Death of Christ. He's talked about it with Slave and Free. And now in chapter 7, as he introduced this, he, he, he treats it as if uh, the law was our old spouse or the relationship we had with our old spouse was like a relationship of law. So that's where we are. Uh, Romans chapter 7, 1 to 6. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. So I use the words justification and sanctification. Uh, Justification, we have used that for months in the first few chapters of Romans, and it's not to sound smart. It's the terms help us understand. Um, And so when I use the term sanctification, I want to give you kind of the confessional answer of what it means, so that when we we talk about this concept, uh, and so, in our catechisms, our, our question and answer form of teaching theology to ourselves and to our children, question thirty-five asks, "What is sanctification?" The answer is, sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Now, it should be, for the Christian, your desire. It should be. Uh, and, and all of the illustrations and the images God use us is to kind of push us in that direction. You were slaves, and you were rescued. And now, as a bond servant, you you have this new master, and we talked about this last week, that you're so in love with this new master that your thought is, what if he sells me to someone else? What if I'm not his slave anymore? And so, in the Hebrew law, you would take your ear up to the door, and they'd put a metal piece through it, and they'd say, you're my servant for life. Nothing will ever separate you from me. You belong to me. And so in that, in that same illustration, it's like you belong to God, you love God, you're overwhelmed with his love for you, and your heart is drawn. What pleases him? What, is, what, what brings him great delight in me? And it's so wonderful that God made us the way we are, that we are people who live in relationship. And every one of us has had some form of relationship at some time, whether it's parent or child, husband, wife, grandfather kid <laughs> where you've just wanted to please the other person right and so this illustration is marriage and i just can't help but thinking you know after all these years and all these marriages we've worked with you know there there are some who come to me and, and quite frankly I uh, say, I have tried for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years to please this person, and it's never enough. Just never enough. And I'm exhausted, and she wants this, or he wants this, and so I do it, but I guess I don't do it with enough joy or enough, a big enough smile, or it seems I'm doing it begrudgingly, or uh, you know, I, I, I'm filling up the love bank so I can make a withdrawal later and go golfing. I'm tired of this. And in that way, the the apostle is saying, you were bound to the law of God. And you were bound in such a way that it never, ever was enough. In fact, what the law did for you was constantly show you your failings. Every time you looked at it. There was, oh, I did this, but I did it for the wrong reason. Or I I didn't do it quite the way he wanted or quite the way she wanted. And so he is using this really in an illustrative purpose to say, oh, Christian, when you are justified, that law is not your master anymore. And and, and it is not the way you will relate to God. And so um, I want to go through this morning, if you can look at the outline, it's all up there. Uh, The three types of the law, the threefold use of the law, and and then we'll get into the actual verses at at the end with the the, kind of the application of those uses. Now, I I wanna tell you that um, in in the study of scripture, like I said, uh, Romans seven is quite controversial and and it's controversial for this reason. Not so much these six verses, but starting at verse seven towards the end, the, uh, the Apostle Paul explains really in great detail. Um, so when I was a young youth pastor, I used to call this the doo-doo passage. But I would never do that now that I'm in my 50s. The next passage is the things you wanna do, you don't do. And the things you do are the things you don't wanna do. And I was like, it's doo do all the time. My relationship with the law. And so it's controversial because many times a Christian will read it and say, this can't be the apostle. No, this, this, he's, he's actually going back to before he was a Christian. He's, he's talking about what life was like before he was a Christian. Uh, because this wrestling in his soul over right and wrong, this, this kind of bifurcated vision of his life that, that sin has a role and, and the spirit has a role, um, it can't be in a Christian. And, and so we use, when we, when we look at scripture, we, we, preachers and theologians, we talk about exegeting a passage, exegesis. So you might hear that term on occasion, exegesis. And it, it just means that we're going to get the meaning of the text from the context. We're not going to isogeat it. So eisegesis is kind of bringing all these other things to bear in coming up with a meaning. And so eisegesis means, I I believe this often means, I believe this notion, and I'm going to cut scriptures back and forth and and try my best to make scripture line up with what I want to believe. There's a guy in seminary that we used to call the Iceman, and he, he thought it was because he was so cool under pressure but it was because we all accused him of eisegesis all the time. <laughs> hey, Iceman, how'd your sermon go? Ah, oh, not so good. Hmm, I wonder why. Um, but the, the misuse of scripture in that manner is very harmful. And, and it's one of the reasons why we find uh, so often these, these views that seem to be diametrically opposed from one another. And so the placement of this text in the section that it's put in and, and the apostle saying now that I have been justified now I have a battle with sin before I didn't have a battle with sin before I was a Christian I didn't have any kind of battle with sin it didn't bother me, I didn't have a standard that I wanted to live up to I didn't have a relationship with God whereby I was, I was seeking to live in a way that would honor and glorify him and now that I belong to him and in this sense now that I'm married to him now that he is my spouse He's the one that has rescued me, the prince that has come and taken me from the captivity of, of an evil despot. Now I'm his. How do I live? And so um, it, it makes sense when you understand the whole process of salvation. You were lost. You tried your best. You came to the, your wit's end. can't save myself and I have thrown myself at the mercy of Christ, and I have received by faith alone his salvation. Oh, now how shall I live? What am I to do with the Bible? I want to tell you that that it makes sense that this is written to believers, because if you read any of the letters to the churches, right? Scotty just took us through the seven letters in Revelation. Every one of those letters is addressed to Christians. It is addressed to a church, and every single one of those letters... The apostle says there is sin in the church, and here's how you deal with it. And and and, and that's that is the whole process of growing in Christ. Um, and so I, I want you to think about this these next four weeks. Um, do you do you want to learn about your sin? You need to ask yourself that. Do. Do, do I do I really do I trust my position with Christ so much that I'm willing to ask God in these next four weeks? I just want to lay my soul open to you. I just, Father, between you and me, show me what is displeasing in your sight, whether it is the things I love, the things I serve, the way I treat people. Show me. Do you really want that? Because our God wants to do that for you. He he absolutely stands there and says, I want to release you even further from your old slave master. Do you want to learn about your sin? Secondly, are you concerned about living, believing, and acting sinful? Does that that thought cross your mind? Because many days go by and it just doesn't even cross my mind. It's like, what am I supposed to do today, go do this? But does it cross your mind that that I might be living and believing sinfully? Now, again, when we think of this relationally, you know, man, when I met Tammy, Tammy was a rock star in her high school and I was a nobody. And I was so glad that she didn't come to my high school because she would have found out I was a nobody. Well, I met her at church where I was somebody. I knew some of those answers. I was a pastor's kid, so, you know, you never can tell with a pastor's kid, but I was a pastor's kid, right? I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want her to know me. But of course this relationship moved on. I wanted to please her. I wanted her to be happy with the man I am. When you meet with other ladies... And some of it's probably I mean some of it's probably again it's it's self centered on my part, I admit it, but I want her to tell them, I got a good one. <laughs> Here's what he did. Here's how he's acted. Not because she's gonna leave me if I leave my stinky socks, believe me. She's had multiple opportunities. But because of relationship, because of love. Not as a slave master going to be angry and upset if I don't do these things her way but no to bring delight and in that manner the apostle says so now the law becomes for you O Christian are you concerned about your sin are you concerned about living and believing that things sinful and, and do you concern yourself with knowing and learning the law of God uh, do we know it uh, and again as a pastor people will come and talk to me and they will ask for advice about things and it's an interesting thing to work through. Well, what does is, what is God's law say? Human law, American law, civil law might let you do this, but what does God's law say? Who do you answer to above the president and it's the school board? And who, who do you, are you concerned with that? Or are you happy just to not know it? So the next four weeks we'll be looking at the believer's relationship uh, to the law. And as we talk about sin, I think it's good, again, to just give us a reminder of what sin is. The Westminster Confession, question 24, what is sin? What is it? What is sin? Uh, Sin is any want, which means lack, any lack of conformity, any difference between what God calls me to be and I am. That is sin. Uh, Any want of conformity unto or a transgression of breaking, going against the law of God. And so when we ended chapter 6, we came to this, this beautiful culmination. The wages of sin is death. And we talked about that being written to a believer. The believers still sin. And, and the wages of our sin, and we can still, in Christ, as saved people, commit sins. And the sin and the fruit of our sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. And so the sermon and sentence this morning, the new relationship to the law. Through the gospel, when properly grasped, must bring great rejoicing. And so, when we read Psalm 19, and Jason talked about it in our confession to love the law, to study the law, uh, I, I think that's quite a foreign concept to many of us so as we look at this text there's probably three concepts that kind of jump out the one is what you know and he'll say don't you know and again that's his didactic style of teaching he asks questions that he suspects someone would ask who was arguing with him or or his audience would ask he says what do you know Uh, but then in every verse he mentions the law so that's that's kind of a clue that this section is about the law the christian's relationship to the law and then he ends by talking about the fruit. So uh, we'll go through this this morning rather quickly from here on out. The three types of the law. So when the Bible talks about the law, uh, it usually falls in the Old Testament, the law falls in kind of three categories. We have uh, the civil law. So that was the law that God gave to Israel when they were a theocracy. Um, and in, in our uh, confessions, it says the, the civil law was for the time of Israel's theocracy and it is to be followed in the general equity. That's kind of the term the Confession uses, the general equity. And that means that that there is God breathed, but it is not for us to return back to it. So sometimes you might read books. uh, There's a certain type of theology called theonomy. And and those theonomists think uh, that really the work of the church is to return right back to that Old Testament law. Now, We don't have a lot of time to have arguments against that, but primarily when you think about Jesus and his reference and his relationship to the civil authorities. Remember that? They come to him when John is in prison, right? John's in prison, and and, and what are you going to do? John's been killed. What are you going to do? Jesus presents himself to Pilate. Uh, Peter draws the sword. It's like it's time. The Pharisees and many of the religious leaders at the time thought uh, when the Messiah comes... He's going to return Israel to its former glory, the reign of Solomon. It's going to be everywhere. And that's how he's going to do it. Um, The civil law, we'll talk more about it when we get to Romans chapter 13. Um, But for us to think about the kingdom come, it's the kingdom where his will is done. And it's not with swords loud clashing. But the kings were types. Right, The great rule of a king was a type, as prophets were types, as priests were types. They were to show us what a good king is to be, what we can hope when King Jesus completely rules all. Um, so it's the civil law. Now, also, in that civil law, it's, it's really wonderful, God's care. Uh, so we need some work done on our home. And... Um, when everything's scary. I try to do it when Tammy's gone, like cutting down a tree, you know, those kind of things. You wait till she's gone, and then she comes back, and uh, the tree's gone, and part of our fence and gutters are also gone. Um, we try to do that when she's not there, right? But in the Old Testament, there's rules. When, you're, when, you're, when you hire someone to work on your home, right, you have to put a parapet out there. Don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. Uh, and so th- we call that the general equity, that, that our God cares for how rulers rule. Our God cares even for all of creation, even those who uh, have turned their backs on him. His common grace is to be felt through the rule of law. He says there's not, you're not to have two weights in your bag. Uh, so a, a Jew was not to have a, a weight for the Gentiles and a weight for uh, the Jews. Uh, to, to steal from them. This says it weighs a shekel. Well, no, this is this one's I shaved off a little bit of the shekel, right? So uh, those are civil laws, and so uh, the equity of those laws, the general consensus of what they were to do, we are to follow. The second kind was a ceremonial law, um, and the ceremonial law was given right as uh, the moral law was given. We'll talk about the moral law in a minute. But the ceremonial law was really, how is Israel, how is the nation to be made right before God? And we follow some of that when we do communion, when we do baptism. We have ceremony that the general equity thereof is fulfilled in the New Testament and in the way we do it in the way we do our worship, right? We use lots of passages from the Old Testament, right? We, we use the Psalms to guide us we, we look at how we worship God, and we say, God, what does your word say how we are to worship you? Not, how do I want to worship you? How do the other people worship you? What will make our church popular when we do? No, we say, God, uh, what have you directed in your word in how we are to worship you? What brings you delight? Uh, so the ceremonial law, the sacrificial system, feasting, dietary laws, cleanliness laws, that was fulfilled, it was completed in Christ. Um. So in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, those are just parts of a Hebrew letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The ceremonial law, and you, you'll run into people, Christians, sometimes that keep parts of it. Um, they'll keep some of the feasts, um, or they'll do a Passover Seder. Um, but the ceremonial law, we believe, that has been fulfilled in Christ. In 70 A.D., the temple gets destroyed by the Romans. Uh, at the resurrection, the veil of the, of the holy place is torn open. Um, and, and so uh, the ceremony that made Israel right, that made the Christians right, has been replaced with the work of Christ. Um, the, and the ceremonial law it points again uh, to the need of a Savior like Jesus, a spotless lamb. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, he outlines the same uh, thinking. Uh, <laughs> so it's why we don't have an altar call because we don't have an altar we don't make sacrifices anymore Uh, we have a table you're not invited to an altar you're invited to a table you're invited to a meal you're invited to partake of christ uh not another sacrifice for your sins um that's why i used hebrews chapter 9 for our assurance It, it gives you the whole uh sacrificial ceremonial system and how christ fulfills it. hebrews is really great at doing that I chose Hebrews for that reason, for that, and plus Jason Sheffield really likes Hebrews, so you're welcome. The third type of law, the moral law, summarizing the Ten Commandments, yeah, fully used and explained, especially you see in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, yeah, they have, they, these laws are still you you think, you think you've made your way to me by keeping these laws, but Jesus fully obeyed and Jesus fulfilled all of these too. And so the moral law stands today not as the way we are made right, but as what pleases our God. Um, and so the reason I want to go over those three is sometimes we get confused in, in where those fall, okay? So people will look at the moral law of God and will say, well, you know, you, you must not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. Um, um, and, you know, and then Jesus takes it even further, you know, like even, even though we talk to people. Uh, can be equated to that same sin of murder. Um, and, and, and people will say, yeah, but you know what? We don't do these laws over here. Why don't the women in your church have head coverings? Why do the men uh, you know, shave their whatever it is, those you know, the dangly things that some of those ascetic Jews wear, right? Why, why don't you do that? And so a misunderstanding of this, and maybe may be boring to you, but a misunderstanding of this tends to have people throw it all away. Yeah, well, since, since you're not doing this part, why on earth should we follow this part? And yet it's important to know that those other two parts, okay, the civil law and the ceremonial law, they're fulfilled in Christ, and we follow them as directed by Jesus and the apostles following them into the New Testament. Were they confused? Yeah, they were confused at times. Lord, now are you going to restore the kingdom? You know? Mom comes up and says, hey, Jesus, when you're sitting in your throne, can one of my boys sit here and the other one sit there? Right? They were confused about it. They, they hoped we're going to get rid of the Romans. He's like, no, 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 no. My kingdom is not of this world. If I wanted, I could call legions of angels. Though we must understand it. So the moral law has really, uh, we call it threefold use of the law. We'll get into it a bit more in the weeks coming up but uh, especially like verse 7 of chapter 7 where the law increased sin increased Um, the the first use that i have in your outline is conviction all right we're to use the law as we do in our worship service we read passages of scripture and we use it to convict us i i often explain it as you go to the you go to the doctor and you've been hiding all this stuff uh you know how much you've been drinking or how much butter you put on your bacon. Uh, You've been hiding all that stuff, and then the doctor tests your blood, and you're like, oh, uh, can I get rid of that before Tammy sees it, right? It's all laid out there, and so the law of God serves as that for us. It is a a mirror of purity, and it is to convict us of sin. Uh, Sometimes I've explained it to people. It's it's as if you have a, 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 a coach that's working on your golf swing, and, and you think you've got it because things are going right and then they take a video of it. And it has one of those trackers, you know, and, you're, and it looks like a rainbow as your ball goes up, right? They have a tracker and well, they'll slow it down. They'll say, you see how you did this and you twisted your hip and you're, right? Uh, it, or it's a coach. It says what we want is right and purity, but I, but I, I love you and I care for you. And, and so I point these things out, not that you would turn yourself away from me. Not that you would grumble and say, oh, Jesus, I'll never be good enough. No, I pointed out to you because I love you. I've paid for this. I don't want it to rule you. And oh, the beautiful creature I'm turning you into. Oh, if you could only see. That's where I'm taking you, child. And so the first full use of that law is to convict us of sin. And so we take a pause in our worship service, and it is purposeful for that. right? And, and, and that, that lines in the ceremony of the Old Testament. People would come in, and they would pronounce their sins on an offering. Right? They would hear from the law. Um, and so it is to convict us of sin. Um, the second use is a, a use of restraint for society, for relationships, punishments, and warnings. Um, In Deuteronomy 4, when Moses is reminding them of the law before they enter the promised land, I I love how he puts it here in verses 6 to 8 of chapter 4. He says, Keep them and do them. (coughs) For that will be your wisdom. That will be your understanding. in the sight of the people, who, when they hear all of these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him. In verse 8, And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Oh, it is to guide society. It is to act as restraint. And it is for direction. now, part of that, part of that um, guide and direction and, and really all of it is it, it, it does give us a picture of our God. Okay, so what a wonderful gift of where we stand in God's order that we're able to look and say, what does is, what is, uh, love my neighbor as myself look like? That we get to see Jesus drawn to the least. Right, well, what, is that, what does that look like? And so all of God's moral law, they point to who He is and to who His purity why we can trust Him. Um, But it gives us direction for holy living and glorifying God. In a sense, it's like here's the things that God loves to see in us. But also we use the word law as a paradigm, right? The law of gravity. In our text, it says the law of marriage. And so he's taking that application and saying, as long as the spouse was alive, you were held to the law of marriage. Right? When the spouse was dead, then, then you were free. And so for us as a Christian, we are bound to the law as a way of being right in God's sight, and, and it led us to our needs. It led us to confessing. I and mean, you look at just the basic questions that we have in our membership vows, right? Do you see yourself as a sinner, justly deserving God's pleasure and without hope except in his mercy? What kind of club has you say yes to that to join, right? Or do you see, are you sure you're bad enough? Do you know how horrible you are? Yes, I do. Will you please accept me? Yes, we will. Yay. How great does that make me feel as a pastor? Like, okay, cool. I had to take those vows too. They know. I, I'm not going to save myself. I know that I'm not going to lay my life out and say, oh boy, if you could just be as good as me, God will accept you, and your kids will be great. Um, it's, it's not the law that holds us to God anymore. But you have to know that that law also got fulfilled. It didn't get thrown away. It got fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled it. His, his death would have then been for his own sin had he not But because he had fulfilled every bit of the law of God, not just in not doing the wrong things, but in doing the right things and doing it for the glory of the Father, the right thing, the right way, for the right purpose, he is then able to take our sin upon himself. We'll read in Romans 8 where he says, What the law was powerless to do, God did. The law as a way of salvation for us is done. It can't save us. It won't save me. But the law is a path of sanctification is a way for us to grow. And so quickly, these three applications consistent with the new way. And so we've seen that already, that he, the apostle uses it, the new way of living, a new and living way that he has opened up for us. Um, three things quickly, that the way of sanctification is, is then similar to the way of justification apostle writes about this in colossians 2 where he says in the same manner you received him continue to live in him and and so the process that we go through in worship i encourage you as a christian to have that process with your time with the lord when you're reading those scripture in the morning ask yourself is is god's law being shown to me is there things that that he says about me that i need to repent of is the spirit using this text in a different way even this day to show me attitudes behaviors beliefs that need to be repented of and so repentance and faith is the way of sanctification that's why it appears here and it's so wonderful it appears here can you imagine if this was the first chapter of romans right right you 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 guys have no idea how sinful you are get straight and then we're going to introduce jesus to you i tell you it's just it's the way we think god's going to accept me because i've lived right no i'm going to live right Because God's accepted me. Um, Secondly, the necessity of an ongoing union. John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. This once-for-all salvation moment is not enough. We must have an ongoing union with our spouse. We must have an ongoing connection to Him. We will not bear fruit. We will not be sanctified apart from resting and going back to I belong to him. He has died for me. He lives for me. He's interceding on my behalf. And we go to our God and we have prayers that are kind of unheard of in Christian circles. Search me, O God, as David says in the Psalms. Search me, O God. Is there any way in me that is unpleasing to you? Search me, that you may know me. All right. so uh, the... the the way of sanctification is an ongoing union with Christ. I'm emphasizing this because, I, like I said, I've known Christ as long as I can remember. And I, I, I had this sense in my mind that the longer I knew Him, the more I read the Bible, the more I did the right things, the less I would need Jesus. That that's what's going to be when I mature as a man of God. I, I will need him less. Because I don't do this anymore. I don't say that anymore. I don't do this anymore. And the truth, brothers and sisters, and the earlier you get this, the happier you're going to be is as you grow in Christ, you grow in your need of him. As you grow in Christ, as you walk the path with him, he is graciously opening little doors and saying, you need me here too. You need me here too. I've covered this for you, Mark. The way of sanctification is understanding the necessity of our ongoing union And it gives us now, thirdly, an ability to serve. Uh, It gives us an ability to serve. And here he says, we serve now in a new way. I wanna go back to that illustration of a new spouse. Uh, You can think of it this way. The old spouse, as I mentioned in the introduction, had a whole system of laws that intimacy was only guaranteed if I kept all those laws. And the new spouse loves you. (laughs) And you desire to know the new spouse's laws. Because you love that spouse. You ask them, what do you think about this? Not because you're walking on eggshells. Not because you're afraid that you'll pay if you don't do it exactly right. But you love them. That's justification. You've been declared right in his sight. And now you're free. You're free to serve. The old fruit led to death. A constant sense of frustration and record keeping. The new just leads to life. Uh, I mean, the applications here are are important, specifically if you're married, (laughs) but specifically too, your relationship with God the Father. We serve in a new way. It is not tit for tat. It is, I, I have been loved, and man, I'm so glad that this brings my Father to light. talked about that a few weeks ago. When you give someone a present, and you're so happy that you found the thing. I found the thing that's going to bring them to light, and you receive so much joy from that. That's the new way of the Spirit. And so the conclusion, the question is, then how shall we live? This new relationship to the law through the gospel, when we properly grasp it, will bring us great rejoicing. It seems that there's three ways in conclusion that people live, and you've heard these before. There is a legalism. It is an old way, uh, legalistic. And um, let me tell you, there's some safety in that. And so sometimes you'll, you'll be a part of a church where there's, there's all these extra little things that are done, and, and the church itself defines. Um, you can't drink any beer except, any alcohol except the communion wine or uh, once a week, uh, given that you're sitting at home in your easy chair, uh, you know you, you see it. You see legalism uh, as a way of, of, of dealing with the law uh, that brings death. It's the old way. Uh, then the opposite would be what we call antinomianism. Uh, the law doesn't matter anymore because we're under li- we're under we're, we're under grace. Um, it's almost like saying I've got this new spouse and uh, she doesn't care what I do. So I'll just do whatever I want to do, because <laughs> uh, she signed a contract. We have a prenup, a postnup, and a midnup, uh, and um, we're <laughs> I'm covered, right? You can't take anything away from me, uh, so we're 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 good. Um, but the way of the Christian really is, I say, it is a rejoicing, free people. It is a free people, you know, and it's it's the child that comes home from school and they've drawn the picture of you, and it's that first picture, right, where all it is is a head with arms coming out of it, right? Every child does that, right? It's, it's a child that brings it home and says, look, Mom, I drew you, and like that looks exactly like me. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, of course not. like, oh, it's beautiful, honey. Thank you. That can be our relationship with God's law. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word and the kindness that it is to us. That you have not just called us and cleansed us and then said, figure out, you're on your own. Uh, try not to do bad until I come again. But no, you have given us a picture of Jesus and an encouragement. He says, this is, this is who I am, I am turning you into. You will be like him one day. You'll be like him. And so, Father, I pray that we we understand your law, that we are able, along with the psalmist, to say, oh, how I love your law, that I would not have known what sin is, and thank you. Father, I also pray that we as a people would think first about the planks in our own eye. We would ask you, Father, freely, please, please, reveal in us behaviors, patterns, idolatry of various types that are sinful, Father, we may repent of those and we may be relieved of his power. And now, Father, as we come to this table, what more could we have asked than for you to give your perfect son on our behalf? What more could you have done to show us your love and care for us and in the same manner, in the same instance, show us your hatred of sin and the cost of sin? May we eat and may we drink, Father, with full assurance, that Christ has saved us, that He has rescued us, that He has justified us, that the Spirit is with us, and that you long to make us beautiful in your sight. We ask you to set these elements aside for your holy uses. We might celebrate your Son's death. and We might be renewed mysteriously by the work of the sacrament in our hearts and our inner being to not just want to be more like Christ, but to actually be more like christ not in any way that people would see us and notice us and make a big deal of us but father that people would see christ they would say there is no way these things could have happened in this person's life unless christ had rescued them and that we would say a hearty amen to that we ask in jesus name and for his sake amen